huge um, guest on the phone right now. Hundred, we've introduced him sort of before. Hundred and fifty-five games in total. Hundred and fifty-two of them with the Pies, and including a premiership in nineteen ninety. Then cross to the rivals, Carlton, and we say good evening to Mick McGuan. G'day, Mick. Hello. Hello, G'day, mate. There. How are you? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. No, no worries, mate. Just dropped out. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you got your back. Um, yeah, no, tell us. Uh, what's this rivalry like between Carlton and Collingwood? Oh, it's pretty huge, especially when the two teams are going reasonably well. And in Carlton's case, they're flying. And on the back of last Sunday's performance against Fremantle, you could say Collingwood are going to bring the pressure and the heat, knowing full well that's the template that wins games of footy against those teams above them on the ladder. Mate, when you were uh, back in your day and sort of running through taking your five bounces and kicking goals, uh, who did you sort of line up with most of the time? Sorry, that last part just dropped out. Who, who did you line up on most of the time? Um, a variety of players actually had, had a great challenge and um, opportunity to play on Greg Williams about seven occasions. Had a pretty good record on Diesel. Uh, if it wasn't him, it'd be Craig Bradley. And if it wasn't going to one of those two boys, um, someone might tag me, uh, whether it be a Matthew Holt or a, a Mark Athorn for a period of time there when he was a Carlton wearing Carlton colours. So depending on what we Matthews as coach wanted to go with philosophically wise, it'd be whether I'd be a sort of a Callum Mills type player to play on the opposition's best and get the footy yourself and hit the scoreboard, or be a player that just go out and play and accept whoever comes from the opposition to in the attempt to try to nullify me winning the footy or using the ball effectively. Now, if we asked uh, Greg Williams whether he had, who had the uh, the upper hand there, I'm sure he'd say himself. No, I disagree with that, mate. <laughs> no, I know. I, I probably do too, but I think Greg would say himself. Um, no, I had some good battles with Diesel, and um, I suppose you go back to 94, kick and goal a year, that was a day I got three Brownlow votes and made him as an opponent that day, for example, and... We know how great a player he was, but it was a great challenge for a young bloke coming out of country Victoria to be a part of that one-on-one matchup. Hey Mick, can you? Ex- sorry, was to cut you off. Can you explain to the listeners and, and ourselves a little bit? So if you you're going out and you're playing on on say Diesel, and you're getting so you're you're sort of playing off Diesel, but you're looking after him as well, and then say you get a tag. So do you then look for a two-on-one in that contest, or how does that how does that map itself out when the game starts? Yeah, it's a good question because a lot of people don't get it right. And if you want to impose your will on the contest based on what your coaches and staff have pre-organised before the game, you just got to go with what you believe in. And if I was specifically told your job for the day is to nullify Greg Williams' impact on the game, irrespective of who was coming to me, I was always going to Greg Williams. If another opponent was coming to me, that would free up a Scotty Russell or a Tony Francis or a Gavin Brown in that situation. And basically, I had to play a selfless role to benefit the team, and I was happy to do that. And then it would come down to a battle of wills. Who's going to break first? Uh, Carlton coaching staff, are they going to say, well, McGuan's going to go with Williams, let's back him in, and let's get whoever it is on the Russell or Francis or Brown because at the moment they're doing some serious damage by being the free player in that merry-go-round. So you've got to impose your will, be disciplined, have some real strength to go the journey. And if it lasts two and a half quarters doing what you worked out to do and they break first, well, that's why I call it the imposition of will. Uh, you're getting what you're wanted. you decided on hunting the best player. And I've always felt the best teams hunt the opposition 
and get it right and stick to their task at hand. So yeah, this is why I said earlier that I would have mind playing under you, you as my coach, because firstly, your coaching record's second to none with the, the local teams that you've uh, won premiership after premiership with. But if I'm listening to it, like I just listened to that then, then I actually want to go out and have a run now. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, whereabouts are you coaching at the moment if you still are locally? Keelor uh, Footy Club. I've been there probably 14 years now. Um, really enjoy it. Local footy, love it. Uh, country boy at heart. Grew up under my old man's footsteps. He was a coach in his own right in the Ballarat Footy League. Um, our family has had a history of coaching men. A lot of my uncles and my dad, they've all coached premierships, so it's in our blood in a way. Uh, but I've always sort of been a student of the game. Love watching footy. Don't watch free to wear at all. Wouldn't have a clue what's on TV nowadays. Thank God Fox tells alive and well. <laughs> every night, every day, um, and catch up on some serious vision because of my job with the Herald Sun, doing a bit of work to Daily Telegraph, writing on GWS in Sydney. Do some Perth radio and do radio in Melbourne as well as coach the senior team in Premier League footy in the Essendon District Footy League. But also I've just left training tonight, boys, coaching uh, the our under-16 group who are 7-0 at this moment in time and <laughs> put a lot of work into our junior program at Keeler. We've got 22 teams here. Wow. Uh, we've got probably 700 people that wear our colours every week, with Auskick included. So we try to get it right to give our kids, our next generation players, boys and girls, an opportunity to play yeah. AFL. W or, or men's footy at the AFL level. In that period of time, we've had, I think, 12 players drafted out of the Kiwa Footy Club. So we put a lot of pride and effort into getting kids to understand what it takes to be the best footballer you can be and the best version of yourself uh, to live that dream and turn it into a reality. I get great satisfaction out of that. Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Just on your on your riding, you said you write for GWS. So I, I'm, I grew up in Wagga, so I'm friends with the Perryman family. And I, you talk about selfless football, and we have Harry Perryman on here quite regularly. But he just doesn't get the kudos. But they put him into the midfield there for the first time on the weekend, and he's racked up 30 in a goal. But, um, geez, he doesn't get a look in with those other boys over the media. No, well, it's interesting because I, I don't actually write for GWS. I write for the Daily Telegraph about GWS or Sydney, yeah, just yeah. to clarify that point. Okay. And last week I just wrote an, a pretty open memo, so to speak, to Mark McVeigh in the view that he's a great chance for him to audition if he wants to be a career coach, and it starts last week when he took over. And it was just a great opportunity to flip the magnets. And yeah. I love seeing Toby Green at the first centre bounce, as you mentioned, Perriman went in there, Tanner Bruin, who I've got great time for, went into the centre square, you know, saw Sprule, uh, uh, Zachy Sprule beat a relief ruckman to compliment Matt Flynn. Himmelberg goes back behind the footy where he started his career. Yeah. Uh, you get Callum Ward, who we know is an inside beast, goes behind the footy to stiffen up their defence and shore it up. Uh, so he did a lot right, I reckon, and it just gave the players probably a bit of a release and a bit of freedom. Brings Peatley into the team as well, who's a noted goal kicker, uses the ball well gets five kicks and kick four goals, that type of player. Dan Lloyd's on the sidelines at the moment who's great for conversion. But you're right, when you get seduced by the big names of Green, Kelly... Taranto, uh, Hopper. Taranto, Hopper. These nondescript players who play significant roles for the team just don't get the kudos they deserve. And I wrote an article for Errol Sun this week and it's a bit like... 
first time well at Carlton. Everyone goes to Wheatering or Walsh or Cripps or Hewitt or Kernow. Yeah. But I think Jack Fish is one player that's been unheralded, and I sort of gave him a big tick yeah. on the back of what he's provided with his speed, but also his decision-making with his kicking efficiency. Um, that's been a huge part as to why they're hitting the scoreboard and getting close to 100 points nearly every time they play. Well, Matt Kennedy and Harry Perriman come out of a small town, Colin Gully, drafted one year apart from each other, so... Yeah, um, it's a tough area. I was good mates with Paul Hawke, and Hawke played footy in Sydney and then come down to Collingwood in our 89 and 90 season, and he was as tough as nails. He was one of those unheralded players who played a lot of footy with Barry Mitchell and Diesel when they were at Sydney Swans, and we felt that Paul Hawke was one of the toughest inside midfielders who didn't get the kudos he deserved, hence the reason why... When they delisted him or got rid of him out of Sydney, we were more than happy to have him and entertain him because he provided our midfield with something we didn't have. They buried him tough up there. There's no question about well, that. I spent a fair bit of time at, up at Wagga in that time when me and Hawkey were playing footy together. It's um, a, it's just getting up there and just mixing it with the guys out of you know, the Jacks, the Trotting Dynasty family out of Urinquiddy and driving through the rock and all those places. Um, yeah, it's great, great well, memories. It's a small world because Hawkey's uh, girlfriend, wife at the time, uh, was a filer, so it's Harry's auntie. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mickey Highland and... Yeah, you know Mick as well, do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, played against him at Sydney. and He's a terrific guy, of course, and Hawkey's uh, missus at the time was Anne Highland. She's a a ripping girl. Yeah, they are, yeah. They had a a daughter together, Olivia, and, um, yeah, really good people. Well, she's going all right, too, in the media. But anyway, I've I've (laughs) taken over the show, uh, Mick. I've been told enough. I wanted to get your, I wanted to get your take on the uh, on moving to Carlton, but we've got no time, uh, Mick, unfortunately. We've only got like two minutes. Uh, mm. But uh, who are you tipping in the Mick McGuan Cup on Sunday? Uh, I'm tipping Carlton. I just think their form has been absolutely outstanding. I'd probably underestimate them in the early stages of the year, thinking they'd have some issues with their defensive transition coverage their team defence was a bit leaky and I felt that was the case in the first four or five rounds but as all good coaches do as much as they want to change their style which they have they become more competitive and combative that's why their contested ball numbers both in the air at ground level are great but they've seriously worked on their team defence and they're actually improved in that area big time and if you do that you generate turnovers then the next add on to that is how you score from those turnovers which they're doing the probably area they have to tighten up is making sure they don't get scored against when they turn the ball over. So that's work in progress and Michael Voss will be all over that. Yeah, mm. oh, very good. Hey Mick, we've got to leave it there because we've run out of time, but uh, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. No worries, boys. Enjoy the night. Yeah, great chat. Thanks, Mick. There we go. Mick McGuire, Collingwood legend, two-time Copeland's Trophy winner there.